FaceApp privacy page says that they may you share they may share user content and your information with businesses that are legally part of the same group of companies that FaceApp is. It's okay though. Texter says because FaceApp is owned by a Russian company called Wireless Lab and the Russians are known for their above-board online activities. Thank you very much for pointing that out. It is rather scary, though. It's caused a, uh, quite a lot of hilarity, I have to say, in the control room here. Not sure they'll keep those pictures, though. Uh, it's time now for Midweek Media Watch with Colin Peacock. Hi, Colin. Hi, Karen. How are you going? Good. Would you like to see yourself aged up? No, but I mean, I think you can get exactly the same effect. If you went back seven days to the last time I was talking to you, and, and then we've, we're 10 days into the school holidays and two <laughs> intense Cricket World Cup fixtures, I think the ageing effects of those, I don't need the app, I just needed to take a picture of myself seven days apart, and you've got the same effect. <laughs> well, last time we talked, Jeremy's been unwell, unfortunately, but you were on last week, and uh, the, the World Cup was just starting. Yeah, well, it was the semi-final and the wickets were tumbling everywhere. Brian Crump was here in the Wellington studio looking very cool on the outside, but I think he was freaking out on the inside. And while the wickets were tumbling, I I recall that you read out a tweet at one point from uh, Grant Robertson, the finance and sports minister. And I think it was something like it was a clean version of an F-bomb, but just sort of, well, what's going on here with the the kind of uh, sanitised F-word in it? And um, it sort of came back to me because a couple of days later, um, on actually it was on Saturday, I was doing um, a BBC business show uh, that I occasionally appear on about once a month. And um, during that, a tweet appeared from Grant Robertson saying that he was uh, dashing off to try and catch the final um, once it was clear that New Zealand were going to be in it. And um, I mentioned that on this program, so you know, I can exclusively reveal that uh, New Zealand's finance minister has, um, has fled the country. And they were saying, well, what is this, some financial scandal? I was like, oh, no, no, he's the Minister of Sport as well, and, and that comes first, and he wants to go and do a mercy dash to catch the cricket. Yeah. Oh, very unfortunate, though, the end result. Yeah, well, I mean, there has been a lot said about it, of course, over the, over the past few days, and so some people who possibly have had enough won't, won't hear a whole lot more about it. But, look, from a media point of view, I thought it was interesting, a really interesting challenge from a sort of news-gathering and broadcasting point of view. Um, I mean, there's nothing unusual about sports events with New Zealand teams in them on the other side of the world and morning programs having to deal with them. But for the first, the people who were up and and, uh, catching those final uh, sequences between sort of 6 and 6.30, news programs had to come to terms with broadcasting a game that had never ended in this way, you know, super overs, boundary countbacks, this was all new territory, um, and I thought they did pretty well with that. But there were also, I guess, people like me. I stayed up to about 3 a.m. Uh, into the second innings, but then went to bed because it was a school night. Woke up wondering what the hell had happened. And so that was a bit of a challenge as well for the broadcasters to tell us precisely what had gone on. Because I heard, um, I think, Nicola Wright reading some headlines first on RNZ National talking about 15 runs in a super over and literally not knowing what it meant. And uh, then a bit later, there was Kim Hill on Morning Report talking to Ben Strang, the reporter, RNZ reporter, who was tasked with finding uh, depressed commute, uh, commuters out on Lampton Quay and, and finding out what they made of it. He couldn't find many of them. And they started talking about blue penguins nesting in the sushi stand at the railway station. I was just um, completely lost. You were bamboozled by then. I was, <laughs> but then there was this, this clip I'd like to play for you in a minute, which was um, I heard Kane Williamson on RNZ in the sports bulletin saying that great quote about, oh, yeah, a bit of a shame when it hit this bat 
and ran away and took the game away from us. A wee bit of a shame there, which was quite cool understatement. And then later in Morning Report, there were vox pops of a couple of guys in Christchurch that seemed to be taking their, their cue with a, a fairly um, philosophical reaction. I'm sad, but hey, yeah, I'm a big boy, so I live with it. It's real sad that, hey, that this has had to occur. But it is what it is. They make the laws, we just abide by them, yeah. The cricket laws? <laughs> well, that's what I thought, but actually uh, what that turned out to be was that was recorded the previous day. It was in a package about uh, those those were guys who'd handed in their guns at the gun buyback at Rickerton Racecourse. Uh-huh. About, but right. As I was listening to that in my bleary state, I genuinely thought they were talking about the cricket. Um, but one, one plaudit that I'd like to give out was to... Um, Sky and Prime TV. So uh, Sky, of course, made the decision, as they did in the UK, interestingly, to put the World Cup final on free-to-air TV. And Prime also put together uh, a program at 8am to sum up uh, the, the, the match and a kind of breakfast special. Eric Young was the host of it, and it was really excellent. So I was in a bit of a confused state, not really knowing what had gone on. Watching that show at 8am, they beautifully and rapidly summed up the best of the video highlights. They had a panel of four cricketers. There was Kyle Mills was one of them and uh, Frankie Francis Mackay, um, another one. And they their analysis was excellent. Eric, yeah, they didn't overdo the sort of maudlin nature of, you know, you know, just, just sort of drowning in the, in the misery of the defeat and the difficult circumstances. It was an absolutely brilliant job. Um, so, yeah, full, full marks to them. And it does, I think, show how, uh, you know, people say free-to-air TV is dead and, you know, sports going online and all this sort of stuff. Well, interestingly, in both countries, New Zealand and the UK, it had a really big role to play in what ended up being, you know, one of those old-fashioned shared national moments. Yes, and I, too, looked at the British newspapers to see what they were saying. It was rather depressing from this side of the world, wasn't it? Well, it was, but I noticed that four of them had the same pun on the front page, which was champagne super over. So I guess play on the um, Oasis song, isn't it? Um, Champagne Supernova. So I guess not bad on its own, but when you see four out of ten national papers have it, that seems a bit a bit lame. But I also had to listen to some of the, the BBC's podcasts and uh, Test Match Special is, I think, a radio program that goes back years and years and years. But its reach has been... Um, Massively enhanced by by podcasting, Jeremy Coney, uh, the former New Zealand cricketer, was was uh, their guest. He was a bit cut up about the result and actually suggested uh, that the trophy should be shared. And he was kind of not treated very sympathetically by the guest. It was um, Phil Tufnell, who's one of those sort of old fashioned sort of beer and cigarettes type cricketers, the England international, who was making jokes saying, "Oh, do you want to cut it in half?" and making hacksaw noises, uh, and, and just to mock Jeremy Coney. Um, and he didn't seem to like that, but he was genuine, Jeremy Coney, in saying that uh, you know there shouldn't be a winner uh, f- from that game. But the really interesting thing about the Test match special was that throughout the World Cup, they'd been trying to get feedback from listeners in all the 193 nations of the world recognised by the UN. And on the final day of the Cricket World Cup, they were yet to hear from apparently Chad, Eritrea, Somalia or North Korea. Oh, yes. And... Um, so they have a special stats guy who's a stand-up comedian, Andy Zaltzman, used to be sort of John Oliver's comedy partner. And uh, here's how he introduced um, the challenge on that last final day. 
Uh, go on then, Zoltz, what well, have you got? Well, this comes from Lindsay Duval. I have a friend living in Chad. He really couldn't care about cricket. Ditch him as a friend, Lindsay. But I phoned <laughs> him up and played... How could he not care about cricket well, after he today? He should be watching today. Uh, but I phoned him up, says Lindsay, and played him some of the podcast down the phone. Does that count? Yes, given that we're in the last, the last game of the Excellent. tournament. Well, yes, but that, that, that certainly does for Chad, then. Uh, Mark Bates, after sending the link to your podcast many times to my friend Vinny, who works in Eritrea, he's confirmed he's listened to your podcast. Wow. 193 countries. Yeah, they hadn't quite got there at that point. So then they went and checked the junk mail um, in, uh, in folder in their email and found there was one guy who claimed that a friend of his had been listening sailing on a ship past Somalia. So they counted <laughs> that as Somalia, which I think is a bit of a stretch. And that just left North Korea. Um, so uh, this is uh, Jonathan Agnew, the presenter, and Andy Saltzman again. And it seemed to me that... Perhaps mirroring the game, there was a little bit of bending of the rules to uh, finally tick off the, the last country. Oh, we have failed. So, 192 so, yeah. of the 193. Oops. Sorry, hang on. I'm going to have to uh, just interrupt you there, Agus. Have I got one? Because we came, this came in from Colin Crooks on Twitter, mm-hmm. who said, TMS has asked for a video of us listening to the Cricket World Cup in Pyongyang, North Korea. No. For a hashtag TMS postcard. Well, here it is. Here we are in the British Embassy residence in Pyongyang, North Korea, listening to Test Match Special on the BBC. All the best to England in the World Cup cricket competition. They definitely think in the British Embassy in North Korea, they are listening to the TMS podcast. That is video proof. We have, I mean, not not the only, not the only ones. To have achieved it at the last minute, slightly by chance, Haggers. That seems the entirely appropriate way to finish this. Well, that that is pretty well done, and thank you for getting that in just in the in the nick of time. Quite something. It is. I mean, actually, that is genuinely impressive. You have to say for an old-fashioned, you know, ball-by-ball type of radio program uh, to be able to say you could corner listeners in every country. But I think to get across the line there on North Korea, having the dudes at the embassy, you know, film something and send it in via social media. I don't know. Didn't seem quite genuine, but, you know, as Andy Zaltzman said there, perhaps in keeping with the, uh, the way in which that Cricket World Cup final was decided. They actually, one thing they did do, I know, the day after I went and got that audio, I noticed they'd put up as a special podcast the final hour of uh, of their live broadcast of Test Match. So you could, you could glory, if you're English, in listening to uh, the last 60 minutes of it playing out. When I clicked on that to see how they introduced it and whether they were kind of dancing on our grave a bit, um, it just comes up with a thing saying, content not available in your country. And I presume that's a kind of broadcasting rights issue with the, the live commentary. But it's possible, isn't it, that they just geo-blocked it for New Zealand as a kind of humanitarian response? <laughs> Possibly. And what happened on Twitter, social media? Yeah, there, there, there were a few hits and misses on this. Um, Jimmy Neesham, the, the um, uh, Black Caps player, he's become a bit of a star and he he's, um, was labelled cricket's most interesting man by the BBC Sport website or one of their reporters um, posted a nice tweet after the final because during it he looked abs- or afterwards he was on that prime tv special looking absolutely shattered i mean really traumatized but a few hours later he tweeted kids don't take up sport take up baking or something diet 60 really fat and happy so he clearly uh, recovered from uh, from the blow and his sense of humor um but um one tweet that was desperately bad was the tory mp 
Jacob Rees-Mogg, the pro-Brexit character, he tweeted out that, um, you know, a damn close run thing, but it shows we can win without Europeans, which is absolutely absurd because European countries don't really play cricket, but I think the Netherlands. And also, given the fact his captain is Irish, Owen Morgan, um, and of course Irish being a citizen of the, the European Union, and as some people pointed out, he's also their backup wicketkeeper, and given that Brexit is causing all these problems with the Irish backstop, you know, the captain of the team is also an Irish backstop. So, uh, yeah, that one didn't go down well politicising the Cricket World Cup. So uh, whether it does him any damage as a politician, we'll have to see. And Kane Williamson's comment was brilliant, really, wasn't it? Well, the thing is, Kane Williamson's not on Twitter, but his parody account is doing great traffic. Yeah, he was uh, said... It wasn't really Kane Williamson. No, no. (laughs) If if you think you feel bad, I've got 650 hours of media interviews to do now, which was kind of funny. But um, a lot of people responded to this, including journalists in New Zealand and tweeting back their commiserations. And a few cricket fans got on the fact, you do know this is a parody account. It says in big letters on his Twitter handle, parody account. This isn't him. And other people said, well, so what? You know, I feel better just saying that my heart goes out to him and he's a great sportsman. <laughs> so what's the point? But I guess, you know, the, the, the social media is all for the users. So if it makes them feel better, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's not the right person. And he, he'll read it, though. Oh, he, he probably will. Apparently he has, uh, if not endorsed the account, he has on some occasion said it's funny. But, but, if but we, Sorry, if talking, I've just meant his on, on pitch comment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when he said um, it was a bit of a shame that... Uh, the Guardian a. seized on that. Yeah, a, yeah, you had to have the A on the end to make it truly New Zealand. So a bit like our um, our kind of national slogan, if it's, you know, she'll be right. And if I guess if, if it's not right, it'll be a bit of a shame. And um, there were some actually, uh, the, the Guardian had an article by Nelson-based journalist Charles Anderson, who pulled out that quote for the headline to say, well, look at the understated response to it. And that's had a kind of worldwide airing, which is kind of a good thing. But some people who responded to it, particularly um, in other countries and um, the Indian subcontinent and so on, I don't think it translated because some of them said, you know, Kane Williamson, you need feel no shame. You know, you you should be without shame because you performed so well. So I don't think that concept of a wee bit of a shame a, uh, translates right. to some people following it on social media. Well, there's a text here for you, Colin. If I were a penguin living beneath a sushi store, it would seem appealing. It was from Dez. <laughs> Probably would. I mean, the penguin story's taken off and gone international as well. But on the cricket, though, there was one thing I happened upon uh, looking at the Otago Daily Times, because they're dealing with their own particular blow, losing the um, the steepest street in the world at the moment. But um, Garrett Tremaine, their... Um, uh, relatively advanced years cartoonist who does the odd sort of cranky, cantankerous cartoon. His one in Tuesday's paper is about the cricket. He's got two. Uh, you can have a look at the Media Watch page uh, on the RNZ website. I've put it up there so you can see it, along with the other stories we're talking about here today. Uh, he's got English cricket fans at a pub called the Cricketers' Arms. One of them saying, I have to say the Kiwis took getting beaten very graciously. And one of his mates at the table is saying, yeah, that's true. I've got a cousin out there. She says lots of them get beaten as kids. So that's, I think that's, that's odd timing to make a point about our you know, national record on child abuse um, you know, after the result of a close-run Cricket World Cup final. Can't quite get my head around that one. And we've got time for one more. We've got a couple of minutes. Oh, just quickly, um, 
Yeah, we've talked before, haven't we, about the Oranga Tamariki story, the newsroom, Melanie Reid investigation taken by the state. Um, have a look at the, the Media Watch midweek page on the RNZ website because uh, newsroom have been back on that story, reporting from the big national hui, which brought together uh, Māori leaders together with um, Fano, affected by the uh, the whole story. Um, and Wātea, Radio Wātea, uh, the Auckland-based Māori station, and newsroom together put up a, a Facebook Live coverage of it, six hours of the entire thing covered in video and on the air by Radio Wātea. Quite an extraordinary up-close account of, you know, quite an intense um, quite an intense and very political uh, event held in Auckland last weekend. That was good uh, use of the medium. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, it's very difficult to watch the whole six hours, but as you drop it in, you see people like um, Willie Jackson, of course, a government, um, a government minister who's got to work a, walk a certain line on this. Very strong comments from John Tamahiri from Jean Tahuya, the uh, Māori midwife at the, the very centre of that, uh, that newsroom investigation, who had extremely strong things to say. Um, and a real insight into an event, the strength of feeling there, no closer to sort of resolutions. Like John Tamahiri, for example, said, look, this Oranga Tamariki, if this was a Māori organisation, it would be six feet under, buried in lead. You know, they would have absolutely squashed it. So a lot of, you know, real strong fighting talk, um, quite where it goes in terms of resolution or progress. Um, it was a bit light on that, but you could have absolutely no doubt uh, of the strength of feeling of people from all over the country, you know, Sumak Solomon um, from Naitahu as well. Um, you know, a lot of interesting comment there and uh, really having a camera on it, um, done all on the cheap, you know, and broadcast very effectively on Facebook Live and the newsroom website. You know, it'd be great to see a lot of um, public events broadcast that way uh, that uh, we could check in online when they're in the news. Thank you very much, Colin. No worries.